The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. It's the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. With your host, Jamie Dew. Chief Librarian, Thomas Senna. And featuring, Matt Ardill. And now, Curator of the Hall, Jamie Dew. Thank you so much, Doug Donatz. It is great to be back here on the SNL Hall of Fame podcast with y'all. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing spectacular, but I'd be that much better if you would just wipe your feet before you come on inside. Come on. You've listened to this enough times to know what I'm talking about. The SNL Hall of Fame podcast is a weekly affair where each episode we take a deep dive into the career of a former cast member, host, musical guest, or writer, and add them to the ballot for your consideration. Once the nominees have been announced, we turn to you, the listener, to vote for the most deserving and help determine who will be enshrined for perpetuity in the hall. That's how we play the game. It's just that simple. So there's that. I hope that uh, you're ready for a great episode today. We've got two special guests. We've got Gary Seath and Brad Robinson from the Not Ready for Primetime podcast joining Thomas down in the bunker. And they're going to talk about Lorraine Newman, one of the original Not Ready for Primetime players. And they're going to make a case for why she should be in the SNL Hall of Fame. But ultimately, it's up to you to cast the votes. Let's walk on down the hall and talk to our friend Matt Ardill in his minutia corner. Let's do this. Matt! JD! We're here in in your corner, and uh, you know what that means. Time for trivia. That's right. What have you got for us on Lorraine Newman? Well, she's 5'5", born uh, March 2nd, 1952. Uh, She was born in L.A. uh, with a twin brother, Paul attended Beverly Hills High School and the California Institute of the Arts. Uh, She is the self-proclaimed daughter and granddaughter of Jewish cowboys. Uh, (laughs) The family comes from uh, cattleman stock, and her grandfather was the sheriff. Her father and grandfather both ran a cattle drive through Calabasas, which is very posh now, but back in the 1930s, um, it was a farming town. Wow. Uh, she began improv at 15, uh, auditioned for the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts, uh, oh. London Academy of Music and Dramatic Arts, and the Bristol Old Vic, but she didn't make it past the second edition on any of those. So instead, she moved to Paris to study right. mime with Marcel Marceau. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, she became a member of the Richmond uh, Shepherd Mime Troupe, and at 19, then returned to L.A., uh, as one of the founding members of the Groundlings, uh, with yes. her sister Tracy Newman, who's a film uh, writer and producer. Yeah, she has a very storied past. Before getting into comedy, she worked as a rock band booking agent, uh, handling contracts and, and gigs. And the song "Never Let Her Slip Away" by Andrew Gold is actually written about her because they were dating. And uh, I'm guessing he regrets uh, having blown that opportunity. I bet you're but, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had a crush on her at the time. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Now, she landed her first role on the TV series Manhattan Transfer uh, and followed that up by filming Tunnel Vision, um, which was filmed before the first ep- episode of SNL, 
but was released after that. And it was alongside many of her former or future castmates. She was actually hired by Lauren Michaels for a Lily Tomlin special in 1974. She's gone on to acquire 244 acting credits. And she also wrote a memoir, May You Live in Interesting Times, a memoir, uh, which is on Audible. Um, she later moved into voice acting and is in a bunch of cartoons, Danny Phantom, Avatar, Avatar The Last Airbender, and Met, uh, Metalocalypse, uh, amongst many. Um, she's a contributing writer to One for the Table, Huffington Post, Los Angeles Times, The Believer, and McSweeney, McSweeney's. Uh, has been nominated for Primetime Emmys, uh, Annie Award, Behind the Voice Actors Award, and received a Television Academy Hall of Fame award along with the original SNL cast. That's amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. And not only that, she has created a legacy. Um, her daughter, Hannah uh, Einbinder, went on to become the, one of the leads of the show Hacks and is freaking hilarious and a great stand-up in her own right. She was... Did uh, not know that. Yeah, she was in Toronto at Comedy Bar about, I think, about six or seven months ago. Super freaking hilarious comedian. Um, so funny runs in the family, but yeah, so I'm really looking forward to, uh, what Gary and Brad are going to share with us about Lorraine. Yeah, me too. They've, they've got a fun person to talk about. It's going to be really interesting. Should we go to them now? Yeah, let's go for it. All right, let's do it. Take it away, Thomas. JD and Matt, thank you so much. Yes, we are here. Welcome to the SNL Hall of Fame. Another great episode for you all. And to join me to chat about one of the original cast members, somebody who we all hold in such high regard, Lorraine Newman. Joining me to talk about Lorraine Newman is a duo, a duo that I've had on before from an amazing podcast, a wonderful podcast. I am a subscriber listen every week and you're before the one. I even knew them <laughs> you're so self-deprecating Brad <laughs> that's part of your charm <laughs> well, I was a listener before I even met you guys or thing when yeah so you guys do a great job they're not ready for primetime podcast I'm welcoming Gary Seath and Brad Robinson how you two doing good thank you for hey, having buddy. us Thomas good to be back Always yeah, a fun great time. to have you back. Yeah, you were here uh, last season talking about uh, Michael O'Donohue, like the the last gasp, as it yes. were, that, possibly. That went well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the the episode. It was, see, Brad, it's about the uh, the journey, not the destination. Around here, yes. wait, is that really? Because I thought the whole podcast was about the destination. <laughs> is it not to get There's into the, the Hall of Fame? I believe the finite goal is the destination with the Hall of Fame. Right? Yeah. Well, okay. yeah, I guess, Maybe I we're wrong. That's be, why. If you want to be technical, we have a stated purpose here. On the, I guess <laughs> okay. in the title of the podcast, SNL Hall of Fame. But you know, I'm a, I'm like kind of a touchy feely kind of guy. I'm you know I have this my kind of like a Zen attitude. So it is yeah. about the destination. So I didn't really enjoyed that Michael O'Donohue episode. It was fun. It. it was very it fun. Was, it was a lot of fun, even if we couldn't pull the votes yet yeah. for Michael yet. O'Donohue. Oh, it's quite all right. So uh, today you're you're uh, joining me for Lorraine Newman, which I'm, yes. I'm, I'm excited uh, to get into. Uh, before we do that, Brad, what's tell us what's been happening on the Not Ready for Primetime podcast, Gary? If Brad doesn't do a sufficient job, you can chime in too. Okay. Oh, thanks, Thomas. Not Ready for Primetime podcast. We do a deep dive through the uh, original era of SNL, the first five seasons. We are currently uh, wrapping up season two, just about done. I feel like we're very close to your uh, second appearance this season for our um, Eric Idle episode right around this time. It's got to be coming out. Yes. But yeah, we're, uh, we're finishing up season two, and then we're going to try to take a little bit of a break. And uh, season three will be starting up uh, in May. And we are we are gonna do some fun specials uh, in between seasons two and three as well, which will be a lot of fun. And Thomas will be there, so yes. hopefully, 
Yeah. 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 I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be there. I'm looking forward to that. I've been really honored to be able to take part in the podcast. I'm apparently now the, the British correspondent. <laughs> That's right. As yeah. it were. Uh, I've been on for, who was that? Dudley Moore and Peter Cook and mm-hmm. uh, two Eric Idle episodes. Now, yes. So it's been a lot of fun being the British correspondent, being the um, the correspondent for funky white musicians. Yeah. As well. Okay. Okay. Easy. Introducing us to the Boz Buds, <laughs> even know. though I believe Brad and I, neither one of us are actual Boz Boz's buds, but 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 you're closer than you were before that episode. <laughs> Sure, more more of an appreciation. (laughs) You just don't want to hurt my feelings. That's exactly right. But we we love Thomas. We have loved having you on. It's so much fun every time we have you on. The last time we had you on, my wife admit I I laughed so hard. She's like, "What were you doing?" She's never seen me laugh so hard. So we have a blast when you come on. Thank you so much for supporting the show and coming on like you do. We we love it. You guys are awesome. You guys let me like I get to let my hair down a little bit on your podcast. I get to be just the guest, just the wisecracking guest. And I think I put the burden on Gary to kind of edit the stuff, the, the dumb stuff out that I say. Oh, it's not you that I'm editing out, Thomas. It's it's the other okay. one. Okay. Oh, here we go. Okay, here we go, guys. So check it out. The Not Ready for Primetime Please, podcast. Please, yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a great podcast. So you guys are immersed in the first, right now, the first two seasons of SNL. So perfect, guys, to come in. And talk about Lorraine Newman. So just a little background. Uh, Lorraine Newman, a groundling out in L.A. Uh, she knew Lorne prior to SNL She uh, from working on a Lily Tomlin special in 1974. That was kind of her, uh, one of her ends with Lorne. And um, she impressed him so much, she became an original cast member. So guys, I wanted to start off. Uh, a lot of the original cast knew each other prior to SNL. But Lorraine, again, came from the Groundlings in L.A. So do you think her not having as much of a rapport with the other cast prior to SNL, do you think that made for somewhat of an uphill climb for her, uh, possibly when the show started? Like, What do you think of those dynamics uh, of the cast when the show started? I think at the very beginning of the show, everyone was trying to feel each other out and how, who worked together well and who worked with what writer well, and everyone's trying to find their place. And I think Lorraine in the, the early seasons showed the, the breadth of what she could do. And she, she was also a lot younger. I think we, yes. we talk a lot about how Dan Aykroyd was so young. She was only 23 when the show started. So there's also that kind of like finding her place on this big national stage all of a sudden and being a lot younger than some of the other cast too. Right, Brad? Yeah, I, I I think it's more the the age thing. She's being being younger, and also you know she was a California girl, so she's so far away from home mm. at a young age, thrust into this environment um, with, with 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 the 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 personalities you have your Chevy Chases, your John Belushi's, your Dan Aykroyd, your Gilda Radner. So I think fighting amongst that and being so young, I think all those things is what is. What led to her having to maybe what seems to be fighting a little bit more than some of the others? Yeah, I think uh, she was she was a great cast member uh, in that sense uh, because like SNL, especially the early years, I always look at it as a sports team. And with a good sports team, you want to have a good season or whatever. You everybody needs to kind of slide into roles and see what what holes need to be filled and. And everything, and they can all be like Chevy Chase was the breakout star of season one. Not everybody's going to be Chevy. You have to have role players and utility players, and that sounds like a dig. But coming from comedy nerds, being called the utility player is actually a really big compliment to me. So if I think of Lorraine in that sense, that's a huge compliment. Did you see her kind of fill in? Uh, a lot of those utility roles uh, from what you've seen, especially in the first couple seasons? Oh, 100%. I think that's what we're going to talk about a lot tonight is, you know, and she purposely did not have a lot of recurring characters because she didn't want to do them. And and so, you know, I think on a surface level, you look at Lorraine Newman and you're not going to see the characters Belushi had. You're not going to see the screen time Chevy had. But when you actually look at it, what you're going to see is that utility player, that person who was vital 
to making sketches work, making the show work. I almost, I was looking through kind of all the scenes that she was involved in. She's in tons of, of famous scenes and stuff, you remember. She's kind of like the cherry on top on a lot of those scenes. Like she just adds that little extra something that really ties it all together and brings it together. And I think she set the standard for what that was, both men and women moving forward on how you contribute and are a vital part of the show, but you're not the star, if that makes any sense. But mm-hmm. you can't you can't diminish how important that role is, like you were just alluding to. Yeah, she she adds a lot to a lot of sketches. And even when she's not the focus, she brings things that you and maybe at first viewing you don't realize it either. And you you see it again later, and it's like, oh, look, she was brilliant in that. And she was I think so underrated with her singing, like a lot of the singing that she did in, oh, in the first man. few seasons totally goes unnoticed, but she's great. And she just, she brought it and she could sing in different voices and different characters and with different what accents. There's an episode in season one where the musical act singing and her and Gilda come out and are doing, are doing hula hoops. And I remember <laughs> when we covered that episode, we're like, is there nothing she can't do? Like, there's nothing Lorraine Newman you ask of her she cannot do. Sing, dance, hula hoop, impressions, characters. She can do everything. And if you remember, it, I think it was with Candace Bergen was the host, and, and they all came out and hula hooped. And Lorraine did not drop that hula hoop for the whole no. four minutes or whatever <laughs> yeah. they were hula It was amazing. And it was just yeah. like, it says those small little things that you don't really notice unless you look for it. And she was excellent. Yeah, well, I don't know if I'm stepping on an example, but like you, Brad, you talked about her putting like that cherry on top of a sketch, the Bassomatic. Yes, wouldn't have been the Bassomatic sketch. Yeah, without without Lorraine Newman, it would have just been Dan rambling. Which I, I mean, I'm a huge Dan fan. I don't mind if he's rambling on and on, but Lorraine coming in in there uh, with her classic line. Wow, that's terrific bass. <laughs> We've got fish here. That just completely adds to it and it was it was Lorraine's delivery her charm that's why they brought her in the 40th Lorraine was back doing that exact same line <laughs> in that sketch she, in the 40th she takes that sketch from an A to an A plus yeah like she literally yeah. like it, it it's an A it is an A sketch and she makes it an A plus yeah 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 absolutely and then to your point Gary about her singing that's something I noticed too with a lot of the sketches I watched like an episode that you all covered in season two she did a Barbara Streisand. Oh, fit, amazing. Uh, me. Yeah. Yes. Right? It's amazing. Yes. Yeah, it wasn't just like it was a funny song. If you really listen to the lyrics, it was a funny song. It was almost like playing off of Streisand, thinking very highly of herself. Mm-hmm. But it worked in a lot of ways because Lorraine could sing. But because I'm in love with me. <laughs> me. Everyone should be Cause even if One of my films sucks It still makes Four million bucks For me Just for me When I first watched that sketch I had to rewind it Because I was so caught up in her actual voice And how well she was singing That I had to stop and go back and listen to the lyrics to listen to how funny it was because it is a very funny song, but she sang it so beautifully as Barbara Streisand. It was excellent. And to a point on how good that sketch is and how good she is, that was your first sketch after the monologue, and there was no intro. There's no Don Pardo saying, here's Barbara Streisand. It's literally they come in from commercial, and it's her, and she just starts singing, and she does a three- to four-minute tune on her own, and she is amazing. Also, it's the same episode. She did a Howard Hughes impression. So just <laughs> oh, to, like, as versatile and how episode. good she is. <laughs> yes, yeah. she did a Barbra Streisand flawless impression and then does Howard Hughes later in the same episode. Like old kind of wha- wacko Howard Hughes. Old wacko yes. beard, like in a, hosp- <laughs> yes. in a hotel bed. Yes, yeah, that's the yeah. same episode. Yeah, yeah. Is there a, so, so you all, again, you, you two have covered the entirety of seasons one and two. Is there something that sticks out as, as far as learning that people should go back and you could point out to them, look, like it might be subtle or it may not, but this is what you should notice 
uh, when 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 you're rewatching those SNL sketches in terms of noticing Lorraine? I think I'm going to go first, Brad. I think that um, if you go back and rewatch the Godfather therapy session with Elliot Gould hosting, she plays Sherry. Uh, like Brad said, she doesn't have many recurring characters, but that's one. She plays per, first first time. The first time yes, we saw Sherry. This is the first time we saw Sherry, right? And if you go back and watch that scene, she owns the whole first half of that sketch, where she just she's the one carrying the story forward as Sherry talking to Belushi as the Godfather, and it's excellent. Ah, uh, uh, now we're getting someplace. What do you think about that? Drugs. I'm against them. <laughs> <laughs> We have to go in there. Vito, I'm not kidding. You're still blocking your real feelings. What about the rest of it? Vito? Well, a restaurant little supply was never a big money maker in the first place. Oh, you're so you hurting to... Vito and you're covering up. That performance in that sketch is one that when we watched it again, um, I think we really, we both appreciated her performance so much more than I think we had in the past. Is that fair to say, Brad? Yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, most people remember that sketch for John Belushi's uh, Godfather and what a showstopper it, it was. And, and I was that way too. And then we watched it again. And Lorraine Newman has to stop at one point because the audience goes so nuts for her and her character that she had to stop and let it quiet down to keep going. So uh, that's one. And the other one I would say, and, and again, and it's not a knock, th- th- it is hard to find a lot of like uh, Lorraine Newman standouts, but it's not her role. That's what I, mm-hmm. and I don't mean as a knock, it's not her role. The other one I would say is, uh, it's another season one, uh, The Exorcist 2, when Richard Pryor hosted. Mm-hmm. And she plays she plays the Linda Blair character tied up in the bed with the girl voice. And it's just, it's an amazing sketch and she is so good in it. And that's another one that just, it's early on and highlights her as just an amazing Performer. Oh, oh, Father Chorus, I'm ever so hungry. Couldn't you give me some pea soup? It's right over there. The bed, there's oh, oh, oh. Jeepers, I'm sorry. Oh, thank you, little girl. You're such a nice little girl. I knew it all the time. Here's your pea soup. Maybe now we can be friends, huh? That's what do right. you say? Yeah, I think if somebody like Gilda had played that, I love Gilda. We all love Gilda. But Lorraine provided almost the perfect level of creepy, like the the, the, the level of acting. I think Gilda wouldn't have been as, it would have taken me out of the scene a little bit more yeah. if it was somebody like Gilda. But Lorraine really had me immersed in it. And because she, I think she immersed herself uh, in that. That's a standout, Brad. Yeah. Yeah. As a, as an individual, but again, I, I as we said, I think her role is more elevating the sketch from an A to an A plus, putting that cherry on top. A cl- another example, Coneheads. Mm-hmm. Coneheads yeah. is a is a fantastic reoccurring sketch. We've seen it so many times. It's so iconic. If Connie Conehead is not in those sketches, the Coneheads are nowhere near as good as they are because she has that youthful element to it as the daughter. And she brings so much to those scenes, especially when they do like um, the family feuds, <laughs> the family <Yes>. feud sketch. <laughs> okay, 12 people said sandwich. All right, Connie, something that people like to bite. Mm, the big one. <laughs> bite the big one. All right, does our audience bite the big one? Well, we all want to know that one. But every single time, like she just brings so much to that, that it's, it's, it, you can't under, under credit what she brings to the Coneheads in general. And she plays that role really well in a bunch of different scenes as the like teenage daughter or the young, younger person in the sketch. Uh, there's a scene, a sketch in season two where Dan and Gilda play a couple that own a restaurant and they go in the back and fight and she has to come out and play the recorder for the customers. And she doesn't say anything for the first maybe three or four minutes of the sketch. And then when she does, she's pleading for help for these people because her parents are crazy. And the way that she does it, she just like embodies this young teenager that you feel really sorry for her 
in in a funny way. Like she still pulls it off comedically, but she also brings this like sense of emotion across in a lot of what she does that I think is underrated. And it, and it really drives some of these scenes forward. She was a really good actor. Uh, she made almost everything she did on the show believable. Like uh, everything that we're talking about, like I, I believed it and I was immersed in it because Lorraine was. And it's, it's interesting that we talked about a couple of her recurring Connie Cohead uh, and uh, Sherry. What I really enjoyed about Sherry was that she being Sherry was put in different situations. It was almost like they weren't calling attention to the fact that it was a recurring character because Sherry was in all these different situations. She didn't have like this theme song. Don Pardo wasn't doing a vo- voiceover and saying, now Sherry, like Sherry was in the go- uh, uh, playing opposite uh, in Godfather therapy. Sherry was in a sketch called Trans Eastern Airlines that, mm-hmm. that we, we had covered. Uh, she was in one of one one that I love. That was a ro- great roast of all the writers from the early day. I was not a sucker <laughs> for Saturday Night. Towards it was the Chris Christopherson episode at the end of season one. That one I forget what your review of that sketch was, but it had to be hot positive. I, I really enjoyed that one because it was early in the episode and we hadn't drank that much. It <laughs> oh, was, was that the positive. episode? That was the yeah, episode. Was, okay, we, we okay. Um, but no, it was it was very good. She's yeah, she's she was fantastic in that character, and and like you said, that they they incorporate it in so many different ways. She does a sketch with uh, Jack Burns in season two, where like you don't even realize it's Sherry for like the first thirty seconds because it's so under the radar, and and they they don't they, like you said they don't oversell it. And that's the beauty of the character of the character the Sherry character, but a lot of the characters that Lorraine plays is she's playing a funny character, but she is not the joke of the sketch. She is there to drive the sketch for everyone else to kind of land their big role, like John with the Godfather therapy session, but to do it in a funny way. And I think that's a big reason why she flies under the radar for people. Would you say, and her being a groundling, the more we're talking about, I keep thinking of Phil Hartman, you know, the the grounding character. And yes, maybe Phil was a bigger name or known bigger in Saturday Night Live, but I feel like she set the foundation for somebody like a Phil Hartman to come in and do what he did because he's basically doing what the rain did. He was that grounding force. He was the person adding to everything and making sure everybody around him could do what they wanted to do. And it's funny because, you know, they both came from groundlings and they had the same upbringing, I feel like, you know, you can kind of see that lineage there between the two of them. Yeah. What do you that, think about that, Gary? That's, I think that's a pretty good point. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. I think I'm glad you, Thomas, you gave that note to Brad to say that was very kind of you. <laughs> uh, no, I think it's, it's an interesting through line for the groundlings too, because I think after Phil, like the groundlings that come in are a little different and a little more, they're bigger personalities probably than you would say Phil or Lorraine were. But they do establish that type of cast member that can help be that grounding force for everyone. That's a good point, Brad. And, and Thomas mentioned she's in the Groundling. Let's not overlook. She's a founding member I was gonna of the say, Groundlings. Like she, if, yes. if not for her, there may not be a Groundling. So let's give some credit to her there, too. And again, when she was a founding member, she was 21, right, I think. Right? Like, yeah, she was a kid when she was doing yeah. all of this. Yeah, when uh, uh, I did the uh, Jane Curtin episode uh, with mm-hmm. Andrew Dick, and we kind of compared Jane to to maybe the uh, like a bass player, like uh, she's you know the, the the a lot of times the music or the song won't work without them, but they're not front and center, and you don't immediately notice them, but it would just be weird without them, and they kind of keep the thing moving and going. With Lorraine, she's almost that way. But I think there's a little, maybe just sometimes a little bit more flair. So she's like, uh, if she comes in and plays like a tambourine or just plays a great like instrument that you're not expecting, yeah. but but she just kind of like adds that perfect thing. Like it's what the song needed. Yes. At that yes. Like, uh, yeah. She's like the rhythm guitarist who can like throw in a mm. solo every now and then. What do you mean? Mm. I feel I feel that understates how good, how important she is. Like, I know what you're saying, but I, I don't know. Theremin. What about a theremin, Brad? You're going to have to explain to Brad what a theremin is first, Thomas. Pretty it's much. A- anyway, <laughs> not the podcast for that, guys. 
No, but I think it, it, it just kind of speaks to that she and Jane uh, in the early days had very unique roles yes. compared to a lot of the other people on the cast. And she played it so well. And there's something like to me a little uh, when she needed it, Lorraine could be a little sinister in some in a lot of the characters that she played, or she can play in like the 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 weird realm. Like in the thir- her third her third episode, she she was squeaky from, and a lot of yeah. people even Did still remember her as squeaky yeah. from, right? Yeah, and she but she just had those like high. She could like pull the dead eyes. Uh, out when she needed to like that's something that really stood out to me is she can just like change her persona like that in in an instant and be believable our guest this week is squeaky infamous for her alleged attempt on the president's life and for her connection with the manson family squeaky welcome die lucky pig one thing i'm sure our viewers would be interested in knowing is just how you came to be called Squeaky. Is that a nickname Charlie gave you? He isn't Charlie. He's the Holy Redeemer. Bourgeois hog face. Meet your maker. Squeaky. (laughs) Well, to piggyback our last episode, which didn't work so well, um, she was a great voice for Michael O'Donohue. There were tons of instances where Michael O'Donohue would write, you know, single-person sketches, and more often than not, it'd be Lorraine Newman. Because she was that good. You know, it, you know, Jane couldn't do it. Gilda, who was immensely talented, couldn't kind of have that dark side take that turn. And it says a lot to Lorraine Newman. Now, you have to like Michael O'Donohue. You have to know who the hell he is and what he's writing. But to that point, it shows her versatility that while she can play a little schoolgirl along with Gilda in a slumber party sketch, she can also play a really, uh, like dark and scary uh, corpse-like character coming up from a coffin for an infomercial written by Michael O'Donoghue. Mm-hmm. Like, she can just do so much. Do you think that was a deliberate thing by Michael O'Donoghue? Think he kind of looked at Lorraine and said, you're great for my voice, like, for yeah. what I oh, want to convey with yeah. my Absolutely. sketches? Yeah, I think, yeah. Like I mean, the first... I think he had two. He had, he had John on the male side, and he had Lorraine on the female side. Yeah, And, and you really saw it with Lorraine early in the first season, really, with uh, this flight attendant sketch where he calls, um, it's Michael O'Donoghue calls an airline and you just hear his voice and he's threatening her and harassing her with some really horrible Michael O'Donoghue type stuff. And Lorraine is excellent because she just <laughs> stands there with a smile on her face and it's just like, okay, thanks for choosing the whatever airline. And it's just the way that she can, again, not be the driving comedic force behind a sketch, but add an element to it that's just like, oh, this works because of her. And Michael O'Donohue then leaned into that really for the rest of their time working together. Yeah, and if you're an SNL cast member, if you have a bond like that with with a writer, it, it, it can go a long way. So I'm glad O'Donohue saw something in her that was obviously very apparent. Uh, th- there's a couple of comparisons that I was thinking of when I was kind of going back and watching sketches and thinking about Lorraine's career and relatively, I wanted to make them recent because, uh, because people will know who we're talking about. I <laughs> right. agree. So Good call. Just to kind of make like recent parallels, just kind of put Lorraine in context a little bit. I'm sure most of our listeners weren't around. I wasn't around back then, but, uh, just to kind of put it in context for some people. So one guy, one person who I thought of, um, was Bobby Moynihan. I think Lorraine in a lot of ways was like a Bobby Moynihan. Bobby was sometimes maybe more front and center, but he excelled in filling in a lot of the gaps and made the most of side characters. Like when Bobby would come on as a, as a side character, even if it was just like a pan to Bobby to say this three second line to move the sketch forward, I think he really excelled at, at doing something that specific. And there's a reason like Bobby actually cites Lorraine Newman as a comedic inspiration and one of his mm. favorite SNL cast members. And I could kind of see that. Like, do, what do you think of, her in terms of like a Bobby Moynihan type for but for the original cast. I think it's a hard comparison only because when you think of Bobby Moynihan, you're going to think of like some standout characters that you see all the time. And it's because of what the show was when he was on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where when she was on, you weren't trying to like make a name for yourself to do whatever. Um, this is my grumpy old man speech. But no, I, I hear what you're saying. Yes. Like Bobby Moynihan is a good example. Like somebody who you... It, it's utility, like we said, Phil Hartman, mm-hmm. you I know, have, Bobby, Moore, like put him in when you need somebody who you know can deliver. What about 
I, I agree with what Brad just said. I think Bobby Moynihan's a little flashier than Lorraine was. So when they panned yeah. him to deliver that line, he's a little not as subtle as Lorraine, I think. Yeah. I was thinking someone like Chris Parnell, who could help carry a mm. sketch, but wasn't necessarily like front and center. He was there to you know, work with Will Farrell to drive a sketch, something like that. Yeah. Rachel, yeah, I could, I, Rachel I Dreck. See that as well. That's a, maybe a Rachel Dredge. Although Rachel had did have like Debbie Downer. Oh yeah, and that's true. like that. But I think yeah. like the overall. I mean, the, these aren't going to be like one to one comparisons. Yeah. But I could see the Rachel Dredge thing as well. One current cast member who I think in a different SNL time, I think Lorraine could have been kind of like a Heidi Gardner type in a different SNL. Oh, time. that's and a I good think call. They had, yeah. If they had put it, totally. more emphasis when Lorraine was on the show on Weekend mm-hmm. Update, because Heidi really excels, in my opinion, on Weekend Update. And if they had put this kind of emphasis that they have probably for the last, gosh, 30 years now on yeah, Weekend yeah. Update, yep. if they would have yep. put this kind of <clears throat> emphasis when Lorraine was on the show, I think she could have really carved out a space on Weekend Update. But that's not what it was for. It was like basically it was for Emily Latilla, sometimes John, but it, there was less emphasis on update pieces. But I could have seen Lorraine really excel at that. Well, and Lorraine herself has admitted she didn't want to do that. She didn't want to do recurring characters. She mm. didn't want to lean into that as yeah. much as the show may have wanted to. So some of it, as far as like her legacy or people remembering, remembering her, might have been a little bit self-inflicted because she... Did, she was holding to her guns and not wanting to do those kind of things where like Gilda wanted to throw Emily the till out as much as she could. John couldn't get on camera enough. And right. Lorraine's like, no, 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 it's not what I want to do. She was subtle. I mean, one of Lorraine's recurring characters was Lorraine Newman, the reporter right. who we would, you know, oh, Jane yeah. and, and Chevy would throw to. And, and even that character was not an over-the-top character. She was just, a, you know, she would throw on this reporter voice and do these live hits. And, you know, it didn't always work. But it was like a subtle character that she had. And it just happened to, you know, be Lorraine Newman, the reporter. And she really was the first update correspondent, like, that you'd go to time and time again. It was It was a cutaway. But they were figuring it out. Remember, again, there was no blueprint. So they're figuring it out. And she was the first correspondent for Weekend Update. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. She she played it like a news lady, like a reporter. She had that affectation, uh, exaggerated affectation, but... But yeah, there, there. But I think there was a, a kernel there. Maybe like I'm, I'm imagining Lorraine uh, in a different time. That would have been so fun to see. Before I switch gears a little bit, because I am gonna switch gears just a little. Uh, do you guys have anything else that you know? Any point about Lorraine or anything kind of on your minds in regards to Lorraine? I think if Lorraine was not in the first five seasons and next to Gilda for her entire SNL career, she would be held in a much higher regard than I think she is because she's just in the shadow of Gilda Radner. And I think she was, she is the, going back and rewatching all of these old episodes, you really see how wonderfully talented not only Jane Curtin is because Jane is great, but so is Lorraine. And in a different (laughs) time period, she would have, she would have excelled and, and could have been a star on her own. Yeah, I I mean I agree and I I mean there's there's a there's a list again of 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 sketches and and iconic bits that you remember from the show that she's involved in. We mentioned Bassomatic, uh we mentioned Coneheads, E Buzz Miller art classics, classic Dan Ackward sketch. Who's his sidekick? Mm-hmm. Lorraine Newman is Christy Christina. <laughs> Olympia Diner, everybody knows it. Cheeseburger 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 ensemble piece. She plays Sandy the Waitress in all of those. Uh, Theodoric, Barbara of York, one of the best sketches of all time from season three. She play, She's in it as Jane's daughter. Uh, Uncle Roy, whatever you feel of it, it's an <laughs> iconic sketch from back in the day. It's her and Gilda. She's involved in it. Uh, season four, the St. Mickey Knights of Columbus sketches. She plays Sister Serena. Like She's in that. Uh, one of my favorite all-time commercial parodies, Puppy Uppers, is her and Gilda. Um, so she's always prevalent in things, and she could do impre- and yep. she did impressions too. We mentioned Barbara Streisand, Howard Hughes. She did Shirley Temple, amazing. Oh, that was once. excellent. She did Amy Carter. 
you know, and, and even, even just, you know, when Dan and John left after season four, she tried to pick up the mantle. She tried to continue Tom Schiller's bad series playing Lady Pinthgarnell, trying to, you know, take over the mantle uh, when Dan left of Leonard Pinthgarnell. So like, it's just like, you, there's just so many things to the point where she was possibly she the first sh- person that Landshark got. She was in yeah. Landshark. And she, she was in Landshark. Exactly. Another that the Landshark got. She was, yeah. Yeah. She was a great victim in there. She played it so <laughs> a perfectly oblivious and gullible. Plumber, ma'am. I don't need a plumber. You're that clever shark, aren't you? Candy Graham. Candy Graham, my foot. You get out of here before I call the police. You're the shark and you know it. Wait, I'm only a dolphin, ma'am. A dolphin? Well, okay. And she's been featured in every anniversary show they've done. She came out for the 15th. She was in the opening of the 25th with Bill Murray and uh, Dan Aykroyd. And then she did Sherry. She brought Sherry back for the 40th. So, like, she's obviously Mm -hmm. woven so tightly into this show. And it's so important that every time they do anything where they look back or talk about it, she has to be included. Yeah, she's beloved. She loves the show. She was Sherry in the Californians. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, perfect. Mm -hmm. Of course. Yeah, it lent itself to that. But it's, it seems obvious that the show loves her. Lauren has still has so much respect for her. Uh, she loves going back. She really she talks. I love. Uh, she has a really nice presence on social media on Twitter. Like she's so complimentary of the current cast and current SNL. And she, yeah, she's just she's I a really sh- good follow, and she just has such a good spirit, uh, and and she's so positive uh, about even like the current uh, comedy landscape and the current SNL folks. It's really neat to see. I should say, full disclosure, she did recently autograph a picture for us saying, friend of the pod, Lorraine Newman, wearing a Blues Brothers, really? and a picture of her wearing a Blues Brothers t-shirt, So, which does not affect my oh arguing my for her at all, but we do have it. <laughs> She's so cool. Gosh. She's awesome. Yeah, she what, is. She's great. Wow, what a cool lady. So uh, so you two, I, I, of course, I'm going to take advantage of your presence here. And uh, you two have become experts by immersion as far as like the original seasons go. And we've seen certain cast members get into the Hall of Fame from those seasons. Aykroyd, Murray, Gilda Radner, Jane Curtin, they're in. But it seems like some of the people responsible for the show's early success who have less star power and camera time still tend to go unrecognized. So do you think it's past time for some of those folks, especially people on the writing side, to get their just do, not just Michael O'Donohue. There's like a whole stable of them. So what do you think, like as the as the people who are carrying the torch, like the SNL podcasting torch for the <laughs> for the older seasons? Like, what do you think about that? Yes, a hundred percent. Yeah. And I think I kind of mentioned this when I was on the round table last season. I think the Hall of Fame is getting to that very interesting and fun place where, you know, you have all of your sure shots are in. And now you really need to look at who is important, you know, and who is really like a foundation member of like really creating what this show is and why it has lasted so long. And that's people like, yeah, you're Lorraine Newman's, you're Michael O'Donohue's, you're Franken and Davis, Rosie Schuster, you know, Buck Henry as a host. You can't, I mean, John Snyder, I know has argued him many, many times, but it's like, John, Buck, like how there is not a statue for Buck Henry somewhere in Saturday Night Live land about this is what a host is. I mean, come on. Yeah. Gary, what do you make of Buck Henry not already being in the SNO Hall of Fame? I, it's kind I want to say it's a tragedy um, because to Brad's point, like he really defined the role of host. And you can see in those first two seasons how reliant the cast was when they knew that Buck Henry was hosting. And it it was kind of like, oh, he's going to help us, both the writers and the cast, right? Because he had great writing talents. And he would bring things to the show and elevate the show for for when he was hosting. So I, it's, yeah, go back and watch his episodes because they are, he's, he really sets the table for what this, the host should do. And watch the good nights and watch just how, how much the cast seems to adore him Yeah, as well. They, they always loved, like it was Buck Henry week and I'm sure yeah. the cast was really excited 
when it was Buck Henry week because they, yeah. they could be creative. They didn't. They maybe felt like they didn't have to carry the entire thing. They had a host who was more than capable. So yeah. So he's one. Uh, a lot of writers, like we've mentioned O'Donohue quite a few times. I'm halfway surprised about Franken and Davis. I'm shocked about Franken and Davis, yeah. really. Because they had a presence not just in the first few seasons, but then they came back later. So they were around in the late 80s, early 90s, and then Franken was even on the show for quite a while. So them not getting in is is surprising because the writers, and especially like seasons, I guess the end of season two and then season three, really, they they carry more weight in the show, right, Brad? So they really come in. Yeah, season three, they start to they start to they start to come up as O'Donoghue starts to go down. So three, four, five is really that Frank and Davis era. I mean, Al Franken almost took over the show when Lauren left. If it wasn't right. for La- uh, Limo for Lamo, you know, yeah. he sabotaged right. himself. Fran- he sabotaged himself. <laughs> he he would have been he would have taken over. And who knows what would have happened? Right. Yeah, yeah. Those two surprised me, especially given yeah, Al Franken has the name recognition of right. of the two. Uh, I'm gonna tell you the writer that surprises me the most as a fan. Uh-huh. I can't believe Jack Handy's yes. not in. <laughs> like it's not even I the know. era we quote unquote cover. But I, I, and I think it's just because people don't know the stuff Jack Handy actually wrote. Unless you're like us and you really dive deep as a casual fan, you don't realize the the, the sketches he wrote and the impact he had. But like, how Jack Handy is not in blows my mind. Yeah, probably my favorite writer of all time, Jack Handy. I mean, and he 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 has a whole segment with his name on it. Right. So he has some recognition, even though I've told people when I was younger, I thought that was a fake name. <laughs> it does sound vaguely dirty, sure. honestly. But so when I was a kid, I was like, oh, that's just a fake. I didn't even register that that was a real person. I thought that was, I actually thought that was Al Franken writing those under like a pen oh. name or something. Yeah. I think I did point. too when I was a kid back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's funny. He was responsible for some iconic sketches in that period with like, you know, late 80s through much of the 90s. And yeah. I mean, Herb Sargent, I believe Mm -hmm. the man has a WGA award named after him. Right. That he does. uh, Okay. I mean, the guy is, I feel like you've got, you've got, you've got Lorne, you've got Jim Downey. And then I think like uh, Higgins is probably up there as far as people in, impact on the show. Mm-hmm. And Herb Sargent. I mean, Herb Sargent has to be in there of what he's contributed to the show and the legacy he left of what he's done on that show. Yeah, Herb was like the adult in the room that they needed. Literally, yeah. yeah. He, he was very much the adult in the room. He had been in TV. For decades. Decades before that. Yeah, he was much older than everybody else, but he he was that steady hand. He He, he was the guy that they would go to for knowing how to do TV things, for wisdom. He and Chevy created Weekend Update, mm-hmm. right? Herb and yeah. Chevy. I mean, I mean, Weekend Update, gosh, of course, obviously it exists now. You have somebody like Herb Sargent, who was kind of a co-creator of, of such an iconic uh, institution in Weekend Update. And to that institution, many people think, Norm McDonald is their, or not think, but believe they like Norm McDonald is their favorite Weekend Update host. Who was doing Weekend Update with Lor- with uh, Norm McDonald? It's Herb. Yeah, yeah. Herb was he there. Did. Yeah, he, he was there yeah. through. Like it's like if, you know what I mean. He was there from Chevy, and he was there through Norm McDonald. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. He's yeah, he's one. We we've advocated for Rosie Schuster. Yeah, uh, Dick Ebersol. Dick Ebersol to me. Is like, yeah. like, and it's hard to because we have categories here at the Esno Hall of Fame. So it's like he doesn't, he fits in the technically the producer category. But I think I want to urge people to go back and listen to our Dick Ebersol episodes, me and Deremy Dove. And Deremy made a really great case uh, laying out Ebersol's career and his impact on SNL. He co created the show, he and yeah. Lorne. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think he gets the a bad rap for some of the later. Some of the way things played out later uh, with him and SNL. But really, yeah. like the creation of the show, he was huge. He was fundamental in the, the beginning of the show. Well, I remember on the on the roundtable again last season, I was like, I have my last vote I'm throwing in. And it's a, I was like, it's a bullshit thing, but I, I need the voice to be heard. And I was like, Dick Ebersol, like, I have to bring up Dick Ebersol. I have to talk about him. And then like everybody else was like, no, no, no. Yes, we all agree. Like Dick Ebersol needs to get like, I thought no one else but me wanted to push him to be in. And everybody on that, that, that round table wanted him in. Oh no, I'm a huge advocate for Dick Ebersol for sure. And he, he swooped in because Gene Dumanian, she gets a lot of crap 
Um, she took over for Lauren. She just probably wasn't the right fit. That that just wasn't her. That wasn't her strong suit. Was to actually lead the show like that. So Dick Ebersol, uh did a great job of kind of picking up some of the pieces. I think they did two episodes at the end of season six, and he's like, "All right, we're going to regroup, retool." Ebersol, um, with Lauren's blessing, by the way. He didn't just go. He talked to Lauren and got Lauren's blessing to to go produce the show. He and Lauren, contrary to popular belief, even my belief, he and Lauren were friends and probably still are friends, and they go way back, obviously. Um, but Dick Ebersol was so instrumental in not only creating SNL in the early days, but retooling SNL to give it the lifespan that it has. He's definitely someone that deserves to be there. And then you got people like Candy Bergen. Uh, um, a host from the early season uh, who put in some classic episodes. Is, is she responsible? Not responsible, but was she the host for, I don't know if you have thought about the best episode you've covered so far, but her her second episode, maybe, I think in season one, one of her Christmas episodes has to be up there. It's season two. Season, season two? two. Season two. Okay. Because her, okay. her Christmas episode for season one, not very not good. Not good, okay. Um, but she her first episode for season one is the one that many people consider where SNL really got its foot. It's yep. where uh, Chevy did, I think, right Ford for the first time, or I'm Chevy Chase and you're not. Yeah, And it really started coalescing, so a lot of people give that one credit. But uh, her Christmas episode for season two, I think is probably, unless something, unless Buck pulls it off at the end, is our favorite episode of season two. It is, it is an amazingly great episode. And she did some unique time. things too with the show that she she had she did interviews with some mm-hmm. not comedic people, some real life people who are doing important things, and she brought them onto the show to talk to them to advocate for things like equal rights for women and uh, acknowledgement of the elderly. I forget what that association mm-hmm. is called, but she she had the trust of Lauren to do these segments where she talked to real people to like move things forward. Um, and I think that was that was huge, and it was very different than any other host at the time. Go back and watch Candace Bergen's from season two, the Christmas episode. Uh, Frank Zappa was the musical guest. Yeah, yeah. just classic Great guest sketch, classic sketch after classic sketch. To me, it's still uh, almost fifty years later one of the great episodes of all time mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, in SNL really history. Yeah, just I'm glad I have you guys on because I feel like there needs to be some advocating done. Um, on behalf of 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 some of the the older gay days, so I'm really happy to have you guys on to to do some of that work. Uh, Thomas, I know you're a huge sports fan, and Gary is yeah. as well. So let me like make this analogy, and you guys can speak to it better than I can. But so like cast members, right? How and there are amazing cast members still uh, nominated both th- this year as new members and on the ballot from before. Maya Rudolph, Kate McKinnon. Will Forte, Vanessa Bayer. How do those people get in the Hall of Fame and Lorraine Newman is not? Okay, you go to hosts. Uh, Justin Timberlake, Emma Stone, Melissa McCarthy, all great hosts. How do they get in the Hall of Fame and say a Buck Henry and a Candace Bergen are not? Yeah. You go to writers. Paula Pell, who's an Adam McKay, newer writers that people know and love. I get it. They are very great, and I love them as well. But how do you put them in without a Michael O'Donohue, without a Herb Sargent, without a Franken and Davis? You know what I mean? I, yeah. You know, how do you equate that to, to a sports analogy where, like, you need these founding people in before the younger folk get in? Yeah. No, you need you, – of course you needed, like – Mickey Mantle and Willie Mays and, and and all those people. They set the foundation for, I mean, this year, like Adrian Beltre, Albert Pujols is going to get in at some point. But those those guys set the foundation for, for all the sluggers that, that we see now. I mean, you're absolutely right. I think, Gary, do you think it's just lack of name recognition or just like they've been lost throughout history? I think, you know, I think the writers, it's definitely lack of name recognition. And and I mean, we're talking about someone like Buck Henry, who, you know, outside of SNL, how much do we know of Buck Henry, right? I mean, we know now what he did, mm-hmm. right? He was right, wrote The Graduate, all these things. Um, but again, it's that name recognition. I, I, I don't think people now think of Candace Bergen as, you know, a host, really. You know, she was, what, she was the first female five-timer? Yeah. 
Yeah, she. I mean, she's very important in the history of the show. And Buck definitely is. But I think they just don't have that name recognition of today. And with the writers, you have someone like, I love Conan O'Brien. I think he's excellent. He's an excellent writer. But he has talked about how, you know, Jack Handy is his favorite writer ever. And he says that he was his favorite SNL writer of all time. Mm -hmm. And these people that, again, Herb Sargent, like set the, set everything up so that someone like, you know, Jost and Michael Che have weekend update now because Herb Sargent set that up to be what it is. Yeah. Well said. Um, I just urge uh, all of our listeners and voters to go give consideration, go take a look at the resumes of O'Donohue, Franken and Davis, Rosie Schuster, Herb Sargent, Ebersol, Buck Henry, Lorraine Newman, all of the people that set, set, set the groundwork for the show that we all love now. Go, I urge all you guys to go reevaluate yeah, <laughs> uh, their yeah. candidacy and their resumes. You know, back in the late 90s when they opened up the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and they had the big Rock and Roll Hall of Fame concert, John Bon Jovi played a tune and he was telling this story and he was like, my mother told me the story of like, you know, think about who your inspirations are, who you like and who you admire. And then go back and look at who their inspirations are and who they admire. And I think mm-hmm. that's exactly what this is. Like all these people that you love from this era and, the, and, and 10, 15 years prior, find out who they liked, who they were into, what got them into it, what triggered their love for it and got them excited. And then you're going to find these names we're talking about that started this show. Yeah, yeah. When I was a kid, I was a big Nirvana fan. And because of that, I became a David Bowie fan. Because they did the man who sold the world, <laughs> unplug. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Uh, I, I found out who Lead Belly was, uh, Meat <laughs> Puppets, kind of people like that. So it does like you find out the people who you love. Who who do they love? And yeah. that, that's such like that's such a great point. Every once in a while, Thomas, I have them. when you let me <laughs> you, when you let me have it. You surprise me. You su- <laughs> full of surprises, Brad. It's <laughs> oh man. Um, so I think we did a good job of t- talking about legacies of, of of some of the the old guard of SNL. I want to point it back to specifically Lorraine Newman, though. What should her SNL legacy be? Uh, Gary, I'll start with you. Oh, I, I honestly, I think her legacy is that more than anyone else in that original cast, she was the one who would set the table and be the foundation for sketches and let other people get the big laughs and help set them up. Like she, she set the template for what that type of cast member needs to be. That's what I think her legacy is. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think she set the standard, created the mold for what the utility player is, for what that person is to let everybody else shine. And like I said before, and just add that extra something to take a great sketch to an iconic sketch, to make a good sketch, a really good sketch, you know, to help pull stuff out. I know, again, sports, you guys are sports. I don't know how you would figure this out. I'm sure John and and Mike over at Saturday Night Network could figure out some kind of algorithm, but like her batting average has to be huge. Mm. She's not hitting home runs. She's not knocking out of the park, but she is consistently giving you doubles and triples and knocking in runs when you need them. Like that's what she does. She's not striking out. She's not popping up. Like she is just consistently delivering what you need. Yeah. And at a time when you had a brand new show that had no feet under itself, you needed that more than ever. Did you need something like that? Especially when the format wasn't set. So they were trying all different types of things. There were dramatic pieces. There were comedic pieces. They had jugglers on. She, we, we do totally. You remember, do you remember the sketch where it was, uh, it was her and Gilda and Gilda introduces Lorraine just doing random impressions. Yes. It's like a baby crying and a dog bark. Like it's just like random shit. Cause like, yeah, they were just making it up as they went along. Yeah, that was the episode where Gilda was like, I don't have a lot of airtime tonight, so I'm going to introduce Lorraine. And she has <laughs> Lorraine do all of these impressions. And it's a solid like three or four minutes of just Lorraine doing amazing impressions of these awkward, weird things. And it's excellent. So, yeah, I mean, she's very underrated in, in my opinion.
So there's that. Really great job there, Gary and Brad. And of course, the ringmaster, Thomas, uh, really pleased with that uh, conversation. If you were listening and you are on the edge, I think they may have swayed you to casting a vote for Lorraine Newman. We shall see. We shall see. Jane Curtin was the first ballot Hall of Famer. Gilda Radner was a first ballot Hall of Famer. It seems only right that Lorraine Newman will also be a first ballot Hall of Famer. But if you need any more evidence, let's go now to 1975, Season 1, Episode 24. Chris Christopherson was your host, and Lorraine is playing her reoccurring character, Sherry. Let's go to that sketch right now. My name is Sherry Norwalk, and I got special permission from the FCC, that's the Federal Communications Club, to come on television and tell my story. Okay, last October, I went up to the Saturday night offices because I think the show is really boss and I wanted tickets. Well, they were out of tickets, but as I was leaving, Dave Wilson, the director, said I had a bitchin' bod, and would I like to come up and spend the weekend with him up in Parsippany, New Jersey, because his wife was dead. So I went up, and it was really great and everything, except his wife wasn't really dead. She'd just gone shopping. God, creative people can be so forgetful. Anyways, I got this phone call from the show the next day, and they said that David recommended me for a job as a secretary for $14,400 a year. And they didn't even mind that I couldn't type or file or do shorthand. So they told me I was going to do light secretarial work and maybe help the writers out if I could sometimes. And I did that. Like Alan Zweibel, he's this big Jewish writer. Well, he was really weird, man. He made me feel really guilty about the way his people suffered in Egypt. So he'd get undressed and have me sing Go Down Moses. It got stranger, man. I'm not kidding. Like, did you know some comedy writers don't like to work at, at, in the office? They work at home and at night. And they don't write things down. They act them out first. Like Tom Schiller asked me to act out a scene with him at his apartment. Then he called two other writers, Tom Davis and Al Franken, and because he said he was having trouble with his inspiration. So they came over and we all acted out the scene, except it wasn't in the show which I thought was really weird. And after a while, it got even more disgusting. Like Michael O'Donohue, he just couldn't finish writing the Star Trek skit unless I kept whispering to him the words, rocket ships are okay, but your missile is tremendous. <laughs> it was really disgusting. And then there was Herb Sargent. He's this older writer with white hair, and he was really like a father figure, a really strict father. Like, you know, he used to take his belt and tie me up and spank me. And I didn't even do anything wrong. Anyways, that's why I've written this book. It's called, I Was Not a Sucker for Saturday Night. Because I really think the public has a right to know. Saturday night. Yes, okay, I'll be right up. I have to help Chevy write update. Okay, let's see. Pad, pencil, and apparatus. It's really disgusting. <laughs> That's what we've got for you. That was Sherry. Uh, well, it was Lorraine Newman playing Sherry. Uh, and that's what we've got for you this week. I hope you enjoyed yourself. I hope you were able to listen to that uh, concise argument and maybe put together a case in your own head for voting for Lorraine Newman when voting opens. In case you aren't registered to vote and I don't send you an email, you can always vote through the social links when I send those out. That will be uh, middle of May this year. And then we will make the announcement on the last episode of the show. We'll, of course, be doing a roundtable where we gather some people to discuss their nominees and the way that they are going to vote. 
and then we turn it over to you. Next week, we're turning it over to our good friend, Kirsten Radula, and she will put together a case for Taryn Killam. That should be a good one, folks. You're going to want to download that episode. So without further ado, I have a favor to ask of you. If you could please, on your way out, as you walk past the Weekend Update exhibit, turn out the lights, because the SNL Hall of Fame is now closed. Thanks for listening to the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. Make sure to rate, review, share, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on social media at SNLHOF. This is Doug Denant saying, this is Doug Denant saying, see you next week.